Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, incredibly bright people for watching this podcast. Guess who this is? No. No. Yeah, it's Yakko Warner. Oh, could it be Pinky? Or it might even be Carl finishing my croissant. Or it might be Raphael with a hot bunch of marshmallow tuna fish and Doritos pizza. Or even Donatello trying to figure out how my Apple Watch works. The main thing we all have in common is that we are pretty smart, just like you. Because we watch and listen to the Canned Air Podcast. And one more thing. Nerf! Welcome to another episode of Candare, your tribute to pop culture. I am Jeremy Colley. And I'm Randy Hardenbrook. And another one of those special episodes. I maybe need to stop saying that, too. <laughs> Everything I get accustomed to saying, I think I, I need to stop eventually saying. <laughs> We've got a great episode for you guys today. But it's the truth. We do. We do. We really do. Uh, we are welcoming today an Emmy-nominated showbiz veteran who's written over a thousand hours of television and has starred in shows like Off the Wall and Night Rap. Uh, just to name a few things. But she's promoting her book, uh, My Peacock Tale, Secrets of an NBC Page, uh, which we talk with her all about on today's episode and is a fascinating conversation. We welcome host, writer, producer, and author Shelley Herman to the show. Great convo, huh? Amazing convo. And uh, super excited for everybody to hear it because, yeah. yeah, it's... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, and I can't wait to read the book. She's just sent us a copy of the book, and now I can't wait to get in there and uh, check it out more. Because so some of these stories she was telling are pretty freaking incredible, especially if you're, um, you know, a fan of, like, older television, like the, the heyday, the one of the best eras of television. It's like the behind the scenes for everything in that yeah. era. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, what better perspective than somebody that was like in, you know, had in the their, trenches? Yeah, in the trenches. Exactly. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. Uh, so uh, very excited to welcome Shelly Herman to the show. But before we cut over to our conversation, of course, we have to remind you to follow us on Twitter or X at CandarePod, on Instagram at Cand underscore Air, and on TikTok at CandarePodcast, and over at CandarePodcast.com. Uh, you can, many different things you can do. Check out past episodes, uh, see our wall of heroes, uh, see some of our other special guests. But there's also two ways you can support us. There's our merch page with t-shirts, hats, hoodies, and we're entering that cold time of year, people. Let canned air warm you. Warm people. your cans with canned air. There you have it. 
let's put that on his shirt. <laughs> Josh, get off your ass and get. No I'm kidding. <laughs> Love you, Bush bro. And also a link to our Patreon page, or you can just uh, search Candare Podcast Patreon on Google. It'll come right up. But five to ten dollars a month, which, uh, like I've talked in the past mm-hmm. and in the future, I'm just going to take it down to one single five dollar tier. But get you access to what now? Three to four years worth of content. It's like an entire streaming service of Candare. It's it's a, yeah, it really is. Yeah. It really is. So much content over there, and uh, more being added to it monthly. So uh, check that out if you want to uh, show your boys over here a little bit of support and get something in return. Randy, what am I forgetting? And if you don't want to do the the Patreon route, you know, no matter how you're listening to us, uh, leave us a like, a review. That helps so, so much. Yeah. Um, huge shout out to Evergreen Podcast, uh, the network we are so proud to be a part of. And if you were a fan of video games, toys, comics but mostly video games come ch- <laughs> come check us out at the tour gaming expo november uh, 11th and 12th here in a few weeks really uh in uh, i know it's rushing right it up it is it is uh in columbus ohio mm-hmm. and uh, we're gonna be hosting um come see us come jeer and throw stuff at us or well you know. maybe not so much that Maybe just scowl from afar. <laughs> right, right. Maybe don't throw stuff. Unless it's me, then yeah, you're you're, then you're, then you're in the... Help me with cupcakes. Then you're in the clear. Have at it. <laughs> yeah, you know that Chelsea's going to hear this and do it. Right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, sure. I'm I'm, I'm down to get pelted. You probably with... are. Yeah. So... <laughs> Feed me, Seymour. But yeah, that's November uh, 11th and 12th, I believe, at yes. the uh, uh, Columbus Fairgrounds. So go to Tour uh, Gaming Events. I believe it's the... Or just tourgevents.com. Just Google the Tour Gaming yeah. Expo. Yeah. It'll come up. It'll get you right there. Get your tickets. Because this last year was a hot event. Uh, we didn't know what to expect, and we left with our minds blown. And, and that was one day. This is that two was one days day. this year. Yeah. And like uh, all the cast of the, all the Mario voices are going to be there as well. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so many good things. Come check it out. Say hi to your boys while you're there. And I think... We covered all of our bases, I haven't we? I think we did, yes. All right, so let's just cut right over to our conversation with Shelley Herman. Shelley, thank you so much for taking time to be on the show tonight. It means a lot. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, just a little off camera, off microphone, we were talking about how much I like Ohio and that I was there as one of my jobs hosting a monster truck show. Yes. And, um, <laughs> How awesome. <laughs> I, of all the random things. But it was really cool because it was the debut of this uh, Transformer uh, oh. car that was called Vorian. And, Vorian, uh, you say? Vorian, V-O-R-I-A-N. And it looked like a, a like a dragster, and then it turned into um, a big helmeted uh hero monster guy and um i had talked to the man who created vorian whose name escapes me now because it's only been 30 years and he (laughs) mentioned that he got the idea for doing this because as a child he'd been ill in the hospital and somehow walt disney himself had heard about this and he came to this man's hospital when he was a little boy and and drew mickey mouse things on the wall and just really (laughs) inspired him to create as he grew up that's incredible. That is so awesome. And wh- how, when you said that was 30 years ago that you were doing that? I'm ge- I'm guessing it was. I, I was co-hosting a show with a man named Brett Kepner, who actually knows 
about this stuff. I was just hired because I looked hot in a red jumpsuit, I think. (laughs) (laughs) And I think if you asked him, he'd probably say the same thing, but you know, they wanted a girl, you know, so I I would try to do like B roll stuff and background stuff that they could drop into the show. And, uh, and I, I had a great time. I, I learned the finesse of demolition derbies and, uh, women blowing themselves up in these, uh, those lady dynamite. She, she put herself in what looked like a wooden box, but was actually styrofoam made to look like wood. And, um, and her big secret for doing that was like, like, we're going to try this at home. Um, she would exhale like in the countdown, she was wearing a helmet and stuff, but she would totally exhale. So her lungs were completely empty from oxygen when the dynamite would go off and the dynamite was forced in a different direction than where she was, you know, but it, it was still a concussion, you know, sure. of, of Holy hell. So we had, we had that, we had people, you know, jumping with their motorcycles over buses. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it was, it was a, it was a wonderful time. And as, as, as hokey as it might seem, a lot of these people, would would you know put all the money they had into entering their their cars into these mud bog races and mm-hmm. hopefully hoping just to break even maybe come out a little ahead with gas money so uh bravo to all the the sports people that follow monster trucks and mud bogs and tractor pulls sure and the reason i was asking is i used to go to those my dad would take me to them all the time growing up so i was probably at if you were hosting them in columbus i was probably at a few of your shows i i would hope so because they were a lot of fun and I actually had somebody contact me many years later because some of the clips are on YouTube. Okay. And he, and I, he was somebody who was partially sighted and he loved listening to us do the commentary for the monster trucks. And he came out to Hollywood and, uh, and I bought him a drink at the Hollywood Roosevelt hotel. <laughs> that is so <laughs> cool. <laughs> and weren't you the uh, first woman to announce for the show? That's what I've been told. The, fir- the first female motorsports announcer on ESPN. I've been That's told that. Cool. I, I I wouldn't go to my grave with that knowledge, but um, somebody there there might have been another girl that got in on there, but that uh, that's what I was told. Wow. I can't, and I'm sorry. I don't mean to focus on the monster truck thing, but I cannot imagine how exhausted you were after some of those because I I I know how much like energy and stuff that they put into those announcements during those. Not only that, but like the stress of like sitting in that box, looking on and being like, Oh man, I hope they're not dead. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and, and there was a, it was hazardous in a lot of ways because with um, the mud bogs, they would, they would race through the ruts in the mud Mm -hmm. and they had like a kill switch that was at the back of the cars. So the officials had to be careful too, because if if that got loose, it it would just spin around and it, you know could you know cut somebody's head off because it was you know a big wire kill switch oh my God. cord that was on there. There was that, and also the um, the dirt that they would bring in for these events um, was often from farm country, and wasn't always pure dirt. Okay. <laughs> yeah, oh, gross. A lot of manure <laughs> that was in it too. And constantly wetting it down, and yeah, it, it was quite a quite a deal. <laughs> and it was fun because I would usually fly in to these different venues, usually on Friday, and meet up with the guys who were usually a few pops ahead of me, and uh, sit and visit and uh, you know see what the rundown was and such. Saturday day, I had all to myself, so if I was caught up on the rundown, I could you know kind of go out and see the city a little bit. 
We'd either do the show Saturday night or Sunday. I was on a plane back to LA, usually Sunday night. So it was always wow. a quick turnaround for me for about an, about a year and a half. And you had said something uh, off mic about you know all the dirt they brought in, how that was done, because I was always curious, like how do they have all this dirt where they are playing basketball or a hockey game? You know what I mean? And you had said that they just laid down tarps. That's all there is. Yeah, that's all that separated the basketball players or the ice skaters from all the manure. <laughs> but you imagine being on manure duty. Oh. <laughs> what, and give up showbiz? <laughs> <laughs> this is what dreams are made of. <laughs> Climb that ladder, yeah, Randy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, much like, much like you know, a, a rock concert, I guess that, you know, you could say we had roadies. You know, okay. they had to go out to the different venues and set it up before Brett and I would even get there. So yeah. they, they had their system down and they knew, they knew where all the dirt was. <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to avoid that left side for now. <laughs> Man, How cool, though. I've never been to one of those shows. It'd be cool to go, oh, though. You're missing it, man. It's awesome. I just remember when we were young, you know, like watching after school cartoons. They were those commercials were like every commercial break. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Truckosaurus Rex and stuff like that. <laughs> They looked so I would cool. Say if, you have a if you have a chance to go, because we did indoor and outdoor stadiums, and we did the Houston Astrodome, and that was amazing because, wow. you know, it was enclosed when we did it. See, this is the thing that's good about the monster truck business is the stadiums, when they're empty, when they're not doing football games, that's when they go in and do their shows because that's when they have a chance to use the different stadiums and convention sure. centers to do it in. So it 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 really is a, a sport that, that can help keep those – facilities open when when the football right. players aren't there good point and the bigger the stadium the better because the ones i went to it's been like a little tiny like ice arena and it's they can really only just do circles <laughs> we were in tampa and um it was like ninety thousand people came out to see the show it was outdoors okay it was uh it was quite awesome oh and the the, the big takeaway is never eat stadium food mm, wow guilty yeah. Yeah, I can see why it's expensive and it ends up with you feeling sick yeah. most of the time. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't want to have a gurgly tummy in, in the booth. That's for sure. No, of all the places to have a gurgly tummy, not there. No, no. But how cool though! I'll I'll, I'll see one someday. But we got we've got to talk about your book, My Peacock Tale: Secrets of an NBC Page, which just looking at it looks like it's packed full of amazing stories. So many stories that people have probably never heard before. But before we talk about it, uh, maybe you can explain to the listeners, I've got a general understanding of what a page actually does. Uh, can you inform us and the listeners on what a page is? Well, you've probably heard that term used before. Um, Congress, they have people who are pages who serve the congressman. Um, it's, it's a term that dates back to merry old England of, of people who did serve the royalty in the context of NBC, both in New York and here in Hollywood, uh, the NBC pages um, are given an assignment for 18 months to work at NBC to basically meet everyone, learn everything that they can with the idea that perhaps they can get promoted within the NBC Universal Corporation. And our initial duties were to give tours of the building or to usher the TV shows. But along the line, we did things like pick celebrities up at the airport to take them to different press events. 
Uh, we would do internships with different departments. I mean, there was there was a time when um, I had I broke my foot, and it's all detailed in the book because it's one of those where break a leg turned out not to be like a good piece <laughs> of luck for me. But um, I, I got to read scripts, and and so that helped me later on as a writer to start understanding script structure and story structure. And um, there was this time that I thought, well, now that I've got a broken leg, maybe I can just you know, do something else to, you know, get more skills. And um, I went to Cal State Northridge and took a shorthand class. Okay. And I figured that's the way to be an executive, learn shorthand. And I did it for two days. And I, I, I you know what, it was, I was, I was sobbing. I just could not wrap my head around this. Mm. And then I was trying to think like, well, you know, did Brandon Tartikoff, no shorthand? Did, did Dick Ebersol or Fred Silverman no shorthand? No, probably not. But uh, but a woman that I was working with came up to me and gave me like such a great piece of advice that I tell people to this day is if you don't want to do something for a living, never learn how to do it. Hmm. So I never wound up becoming an assistant, a secretary, they called them back then, where I would just sit there and take notes for things. No, no, no. I, I jumped in with both feet, and, right. and kind of skipped over that part of the job and just pretended like I knew what I was doing when I went up for job interviews. Hey, a lot of people fake do it till so you make it, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Why is it that a, a a pages contract is only eighteen months long? Well, the idea is if you can't figure out how to do that next leg up in the industry, then you're probably not NBC material. Hmm. Um, and the idea is to give a lot of other people opportunities too. I mean, originally it was just the men who were pages at NBC and this we're going back 90 years now. This is the 90th anniversary of the NBC page program. And, and wow. people like Regis Philbin were pages, Chuck Barris. Uh, gosh, I'm trying to think of my Aubrey Plaza recently was a page, but executives like Grant Tinker were, Hugh Downs, actor Richard Benjamin. Um, so it's a quite an eclectic group of people who started out that way. And the youngest page, in case you want to win a bar bet someday, um, the man who used to host the original Hollywood Squares, Peter Marshall. Okay. Yeah. He started as a page when he was 15 years old in New Holy York. Holy cow. Wow. And, and he's in his late 90s now, and he's like smarter and faster and better than all of us put together. He's he, he's a great guy. So I, I, I guess I hadn't picked up on that. Uh, you know, it's not only a, you know, an 18 month job where you get to work at NBC. They're, they're bringing you guys in to see what you're capable of, to see if you can move up in the network. It's like an 18 month long interview. Yeah, that's pretty it cool. Really, it really is. And, and we really weren't given... At, when I started at the time, there wasn't like uh, a page manual. Later on, somebody gave one to me as I was putting the book together. And I would have thought like, oh, my gosh, this is like the Holy Grail. Where, where was this when I needed you? <laughs> so we basically would shadow each other on the tours and and go home. And at the time, you know, there wasn't the Internet to look stuff up. You know, so we'd go to the library and learn the history of NBC so we could, you know, drop little tidbits during the tour and, you know, we could say whatever we wanted. We could lie about things and people wouldn't care as long as they saw a star while they were on the tour. <laughs> you know, they, were, they were really happy about that. Um, you know, I would get the one o'clock tour and I'd be sure to have my my group. It was usually about 20 people in the tour. 
And we would just so happen to be at the artist entrance when Johnny Carson was arriving. Oh, okay. And uh, usually oh, cool. he'd, you know, say something like, you know, the tour is a ripoff, get your money back. And, you know, <laughs> it would make their day. So, you know, there's that. And he, he because the NBC facility, which sadly is no more in Burbank, it was purchased by Warner Brothers and everything from NBC has moved up to where Universal Studios is now. Uh, but oh, it was wow. it was one of those kind of, facilities where it was almost like dropping in on your neighbors and, and getting a cup of coffee because, you know, you'd, oh, well, I'll go over to the Hollywood Square set and see what they're doing over there. And then, oh, you know, maybe drop by Midnight Special and hear what rock bands that they have on there. How cool. Or, oh, so-and-so's guest starring on Sanford and Son this week. Let's go see them. It was, it was really a lot of fun. I bet. So the page program, was it like a class where they started a bunch of you together? Or was it like you had different like start dates or how did that work? I started June 21st, 1976, the longest day. And I started with a group of eight people and two of whom are still really, really good friends of mine to this day. Uh, I'm really fortunate that the people that I bonded with there have remained friends. I mean, we see each other like once a month. Uh, you know, we'll we'll go to each other's birthday parties or, you know, watch award shows together and, you know, watch them become parents and grandparents. You know, it, it's it's really been that, that old expression about the family you choose versus the family you have. Yeah, right. Yeah. And in fact, uh, Lisa, who's mentioned in the book, she she just visited me. She was um, she lives in Virginia now. She, she's just as we're speaking, flying home to Virginia. And we just had a really good time out here seeing seeing some oh, of the old places awesome. and eating fattening food. It was great. <laughs> that sounds like a good time. That's fun. It almost sounds like they were they kind of set it up to be like more of a, a competition. But it sounds like it's, it wasn't really like that. It was more like family oriented and you guys kind of stuck together. Is that fair to assume? Well, we did. Not to say there weren't a couple weasels that were there. <laughs> <laughs> There's always a weasel everywhere. <laughs> but there was this one guy who we found out was going through the trash cans at night and, you know, looking to see, you know, unraveling memos to see, you know, what was going on and try to advance himself. And was and it Jay Leno? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I was even before, I was before Leno. That's, that's how old I am. Oh. <laughs> but uh, no, this is one of the pages. And then when we figured out what he was doing, the, the pages would like put their, you know, their cold pizzas in the garbage and cigarette butts and stuff like that. So, you know, if he wanted to get trash on us, he was going to get, we were going to get trash on him. That was, that was our, our way Man, forget all these uh, medical dramas. They need to make like a, a reality show or drama like about pages. This is awesome. Thank you, because that's my my goal with this is um, to tell our stories. And, <clears throat> you know, I, I kind of was writing this with an idea like a little bit like Sex in the City and yeah. a little bit like Mad Men, because it is like a female driven story and and there's a lot of other my page friends stories that are in here but back in the 70s was kind of a different time for for women trying to get respect and to try to get promoted you know at certain jobs and i i kind of got lucky because i was able to observe so much of what was going on that when opportunities presented themselves i i had a very broad uh spectrum of things to pull on as far as uh, knowledge, you know, knowledge, thing, but also things not to do, which okay. was, was equally important, important back at the time. Now, one thing that you had said, and this is a awesome story, but if you could uh, tell our listeners was that the way this all started, you getting into the page program, 
started with a trip to see Elvis Presley in Las Vegas. Yes. I How got cool. to see Elvis. I, I, I wasn't always this media titan. You know, there was a time <laughs> when, uh, <laughs> when I was working at the Sears department store in the Junior Bazaar department, which was the ladies' clothing department. Okay. And uh, it was a horrible job because, <laughs> you know, what I realized is that women, when they're home, they're cleaning up after their husbands and their kids. And when they go to a dressing room to try on clothes, they don't want to hang the clothes up. They just they leave everything. It was just a horrible, horrible menial job. But um, five of us gals got the opportunity to go see Elvis in Vegas. So we, uh, some of us piled into my old Toyota. The others went into an MG, and we drove. It was about five hours. Drove to Vegas. We were all underage at the time, but you know, we put in our our fake hair and our hot pants and our fishnet stockings, <laughs> and you know, maybe a little bit too much lipstick. And we got in. <laughs> right got, this way, madam. <laughs> we got ringside to see Elvis at the Hilton, oh, wow, and damn. it was it was just when he was started gaining a little weight. So that was something noticeable about him. But I've been fortunate to go to a lot of concerts in my day. I, nothing compares to Elvis. I mean, I've, I've seen Paul McCartney. I saw Billy Joel recently. It was like church with pelvic thrusts. It was, <laughs> uh, if you saw the Austin Butler movie, it was so, when they're at the Hilton, it was just like that. Elvis would, he would, um, get these different color scarves and he'd put them on and then he'd go to the, the edge of the stage and he'd pat his, his brow a little bit. And then a woman would take the scarf off of his neck and that would be her souvenir. And th they would bring him roses that uh, baked cookies and uh, somebody brought him a squash blossom necklace. Um, it was amazing. And, and at the end of it, they did say Elvis has left the building. Wow. I was, I was waiting for that moment. Um, <laughs> And I, I was kind of like a little bit of a nah, yeah, Elvis. He was kind of passe at the time. Sure. And boy, did I just had such enormous respect for him and what he did. And and especially now knowing the struggles that Elvis had during that right. part of his life. The fact he was such a great showman. Yeah. Uh, really wonderful. Wonderful. But you were saying also that after that concert that uh, you and the girls you went with were out to dinner and a few of them broke off. Oh, did yeah. their own thing. Three, three girls decided they wanted to um, have more fun in Vegas than I was probably mature enough to handle at the time. <laughs> um, so the girl that got us the tickets originally, I felt bad for her because these other three girls dumped her. So we went to the Hilton and we had um, cherry pie with ice cream. And we kind of talked about our hopes and dreams. And she really didn't have a lot of hopes and dreams. But I was trying to encourage her. And then she said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, in high school, I went to a taping at NBC of the Midnight Special. And I saw all of these people standing around in these ugly polyester uniforms <laughs> who were getting paid to listen to rock and roll music all day. And I thought, yeah. I can do that. My, my <laughs> only job I'd had at that point was uh, to be a volunteer usher at a local theater. So I thought, oh, ushering an audience. I check. I could do that. So she said, well, my mom's best friend works at NBC. Let me see what I can do. And two weeks later, Jean Messerschmidt came in. She was a big shot at NBC. Met me in the Junior Bazaar department, hanging up clothes, made a call, and, and uh, I got the job. That is so cool. <laughs> yeah, I wow. mean, now, 
you have to have uh, at least either a Bachelor of Science or a Bachelor of Arts degree. You have to do an online uh, uh, application. They want a two-minute video. They say they get about 16,000 applications a year. Oh, wow. And Damn. What, what, what I think is really cool that NBC is doing is if they like you, they will fly you out to either Hollywood or New York on their dime so that they can meet you in person for the interview. Right. So I, I like that idea that it gives people in, in smaller cities an opportunity to do this. But with that said, the, the statistic they cite is it's easier to get into Harvard than to become an NBC page. Holy cow. Gee, That's yeah. insane. And dudes, I could not have gotten into Harvard. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> It's crazy that it's so um, strict nowadays when, you know, like you were in your days, like it seemed to work just as good. You know, I mean, what, what's what's why do they have to have this huge education now? I wonder. Well, you know, because it's called show business. Yeah, and I guess so. And they want people to, to really have um, a grasp of that going into it as well, as well as creativity. Sure. Um, right. But when I was hired, it was right after. Um, a, a strike that they had at NBC and the pages who were working during the strike got promoted into, into other jobs, like this camera people, sound people, lighting people. So I got hired in the summer and that's when all the tourists come to town and they needed people to give the tours because we were making, we, they were making good money off the tours. So oh, it was I bet. something they wanted to sustain that way. Gotcha. Sure. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but stick around. More with Shelly when we return. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out. The book is described as Shelley recalls the almost impossible to imagine situations behind the scenes amidst the who's who of 1970s entertainment culture. And you have shared some uh, pretty incredible stories with us. I was wondering if you could share any of those stories with the listeners, too. Mm, boy, where do I begin? Um, it would be fun, like I said, if a celebrity showed up on a tour and yeah, I've, I've always considered myself to be kind of a liberal person. And I really was so impressed with John Wayne. And oh, to, wow. And to see how kind he was to everyone. And, and he shook hands and took the time. I mean, there were a lot of actors who were a little bit snottier that would just kind of give people a wave or not even acknowledge the tour. Sure. But um, somebody like, and Bob Hope. You know, you'd see those kind of people crawling around the hallways. That was always nice. <laughs> but um, I, 
I guess my best night, my be- my best day and night was working the 1977 Emmy Awards. I don't know if you if you know who Imogene Coca and Sid Caesar were, but they were kind of the precursor to what Saturday Night Live became. Okay. Sid Caesar did a 90-minute live show every Saturday night, and he was like the biggest star. Nick, he and Milton Berle were like the biggest stars on television. So my limo assignment was to pick up Sid Caesar and Imogene Coca. And wow. I could have like died and gone to heaven right there because the two of them were just adorable in the backseat of the car and just arguing with each other. It was so cute. And um, <laughs> and Emma Jean was very proud of the fact that she was wearing a dress that she first bought in the 50s. And and Sid's tux looked a little bit tattered. And I they looked like they were toppers on a wedding cake that had been in the in the china cabinet a little bit too long. <laughs> Which, it was really adorable. Uh, oh. So I got them to the show. They were surprise guests. And it was the same year, and this clip is available on YouTube, when John Travolta accepted an Emmy for his then-girlfriend, Diana Highland, who had passed away from breast cancer. Um, They had done a movie, The Boy in the Plastic Bubble, together. So my job backstage was once somebody got their Emmy Award, I was to escort them to the press area where people would ask them questions and take pictures. Well, John comes off stage and he sits down in a folding chair with his with his head in his hands and he is sobbing, mm. like like total ugly crying sobbing. And I ran over to the makeup table and I grabbed some tissues and I handed it to him. And he looked up at me with those gorgeous eyes and the puddles of tears were just coming out. Mm. And I just said, you want to get out of here for a while? And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I hid him in one of the dressing rooms. And everybody was looking for him backstage. And I just stood there, like, you know, making sure nobody bothered John. And when he composed himself, he came out of the dressing room. Um, I walked him down to the hallway where the press was. And he gave me a little squeeze of the hand. And he was on his way. And, and he did the press interview. So I thought, whoa, that's it, man. Whew, that's my <laughs> night. And then somebody goes, quick, Shelly, get here. I went to a limousine that was pulling up for another surprise guest. And door opens up and it's alfred hitchcock oh holy cow god and obviously i had the same reaction and it turns out i had done my senior thesis at northridge on alfred hitchcock and i thought oh my gosh this is my moment i get to talk to him i get to be best friends with him what am i going to say what am i going to do but as an ambassador from nbc i had to like be professional and not fangirl him (laughs) sure we're, my friend Jeff Garrett and I are, are holding his arm and we're, we're taking him backstage and it, there's lots of cables back there and props and scenery and things. And I just didn't want to drop Alfred Hitchcock sure. <laughs> very slowly. And he turned to me at a certain point and he says, you're doing a very good job. And I said, I did my senior paper on you. Ask me anything about you and I'll tell you. And he kind of gave me kind of an impish little grin. And Jeff and I got him backstage and it was literally like within seconds. And then the the, the curtain came up and everybody could see Alfred Hitchcock standing there. And it was a, a marvelous, marvelous entrance. Wow. That's amazing. How freaking cool. I can't even imagine. I just got lost in that story, like picturing myself there. That was cool. <laughs> um, there's a few stories I was wondering if I could ask about just sure. because there are people that I'm big fans of. And uh, I've read that you've had experiences with them. I don't want to spoil anything. So if it's like a spoiler for the book, we can skip it. But um, what about Robin Williams? Oh, uh, I knew him before Mork. 
uh, he was, there was a, a revival of the show Laugh-In that they tried okay. to get off the ground when I was at NBC. This would have been 76, 77-ish. And Robin was one of the people that had been hired for that. So we would see him in the hallways and, you know, he was just an up and coming comic at the time. And um, back to the kind of when I broke my leg, Robin gave me an opportunity to audition for the comedy store players. And he was very generous with me. And we did some improv and we worked together. And I was wow. offered the gig at the comedy store and the next day promptly broke my leg and couldn't do it. But no, he was he was super nice, super sweaty, super hairy. <laughs> how freaking cool! And uh, how about Ringo Starr? Oh well, that the girl Lisa that's on the airplane right now. She's the one that had this fabulous encounter with with Ringo. One of the jobs that you do when when there's a when there's a show in production, and Ringo was doing. Um, uh, a special, it was kind of a, a, a takeoff on the Prince and the Pauper story where he was playing himself, but also his, you know, bizarro world other self, his doppelganger and uh, ignore rats, which is what Ringo Starr is spelled backwards. And the idea was um, he was going to go on the Mike Douglas talk show. So Mike Douglas was in town and Ringo was in town. So it was Lisa's job to answer the phones for the production companies. And this woman kept calling and she kept saying, I'm Ringo's wife, put him on the phone, I'll have your job. And it scared Lisa. So she like very sheepishly knocked on Ringo's dressing room door and, and said, I'm so sorry to bother you, but your ex-wife is on the phone. And, and she says, if I, if I don't get you to talk to her, that she'll have my job. And he said, darling, she couldn't do your job. <laughs> oh, that was a really nice encounter that that she had with him and that's another one of those things you can find on youtube this um with the, with ringo and uh carrie fisher's on it and john ritter oh, uh, art carney um wow. i i remember it as being kind of weird but it was it was you know it'd be very nostalgic to look at now oh yeah i'd love to see that you said it's on youtube i'm gonna have to look that up now, I had also seen that uh, Paul McCartney was on that list. Was this also, uh, Lisa, or was this yourself? Well, I, I fortunately was able to be around Paul a few times, but one of our friends, Steve, his name is Steve Goldstein, we, we have a certain hierarchy with our pages. There's the OG pages, the original pages. Then we have what we call the page-in-laws, which are our boyfriends, our spouses, our sweethearts. Okay. Uh, that we and then we have what we call the page adjacents, which are the pages who used to be the page the, the the former sweethearts who aren't dating the pages anymore, but we like them, so we still let them hang out with us. <laughs> so, Steve, so, so Steve was a page adjacent, and one of the pages that he had dated got him backstage at the Tonight Show, and you know there was a huge mob of people when Paul was there, and Steve had a picture of the church where John and Paul first met. Oh, wow. And he thought amongst all of the autograph things, if he could just show that picture to Paul, maybe he could get Paul to sign it. And sure enough, Paul saw that picture in the crowd and he looked at Steve and he goes, that's me church. And and he signed it and I have that picture in the book. Oh, oh do you? Sweet. Yeah. How cool. How freaking cool. All these stories, and this is just a tip of the iceberg based on what I've uh, been reading about the book. What was it that made you all of a sudden 
be like, I want to record this. I want to put these experiences down into a book. The pandemic. Oh, well, that's a good answer. (laughs) (laughs) That's a nice, cheery little answer. Well, you know, like I said, I would see all my friends quite frequently. And when we were kind of holed up in our homes, we discovered Zoom. And it was through Zoom that we stayed connected. And then we realized how marvelous it would be for Zoom to to let us reach out to our other friends who had since moved away. We have pages now in, in South Carolina, in Florida, New York, Virginia. Uh, Seattle. So we got on Zoom together and we started hearing more and more stories. And I'd have a Freddie Prince story. Linda would have one. Maggie would have one. And suddenly there was like a big jigsaw puzzle of stories. And people kept saying, somebody should write a book. Somebody should write a book. And I'd never written a book before. I, I, I really thought that was just what like scholars wrote books. I didn't think I should write a book, but I I had nothing else to do. I put the stories together, and the first publisher I approached bought the book. Wow, that is crazy. I mean, look, at, yeah, I can I mean, see yeah, why. Look at the content, yeah. But damn, I mean, I mean, <laughs> well, I'm sure that there's, there's some sexy, naughty stories in the book too. I have to. Ooh, I have to mention that too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now I'm totally sold. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's one. I actually had to change this person's name. Um, I, I named him Jake, uh, because I was trying to figure out a name that my friends wouldn't be able to figure out who I was talking about. Uh, and I was watching a state farm commercial and I was like, Oh, Jake from state farm. Okay. Jake. But it was, it was a relationship that I got into that, um, that kind of had a surprise ending. And, uh, that's intriguing. That's that. Those were the seventies. And there was another one I had to change the guy's name also because, you know, with both of these encounters, uh, these people now have wives and children and I want them to get the shrapnel from this, you know. Right. It's not fair to them that, you know, that their their husbands and father, you know, were were jerks. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know what you mean, though. Uh, you have mentioned on your website, mypeacocktail.com, and that's T-A-L-E, uh, that you've uh, been witness to fascinating chapters of uh, television history, and you know that the tales told in me in My Peacock Tale are just the beginning. Uh, is that to insinuate there are further volumes of the book, or is this just kind of going back to what uh, you know Randy had kind of mentioned earlier about you wanting to see this become a, a series or something like that? Well, you know, sure enough, the minute the book was like at the publisher, all these other pages start coming out of the woodwork with their stories. And I've got <laughs> so many more. Uh, so I, it, it's an endless supply. Now, some of them think their stories are fascinating and they're not. But, uh, <laughs> but most of them, um, most of them are. And you think about, you know, these, these 20-somethings from all over the country being, being brought together in this rarefied atmosphere and and having to figure out how to navigate these things. I mean, one of the pages had to um, interrupt a taping because the governor of Utah had called asking to speak to Johnny Cash. <sighs> and you're never supposed to stop tape. Only the director says cut, you know, that thing. Yeah. Right. But, but Jim ran into the studio waving his arms and he 
just you know went over to Johnny Cash, whispered in his ear, and it turns out it was Gary Gilmore's last request was to talk to Johnny Cash. And uh, Gary Gilmore was the first person in modern times to be executed by a firing squad, his choice, in Utah. <sighs> so um, Johnny went in and uh, talked to Gary Gilmore. It turns out they'd been praying together. So they had a, a relationship there. But, you know, when are you given those circumstances in yeah. regular life to have to think on your feet like that? Um, I had an encounter with um, with Red Fox and Frank Sinatra that I thought either I'm going to do this and I'm going to lose my job or I'm going to do this and it's going to be terrific. And I thank God it turned out terrific because uh, it, it was really kind of what I call my Lucy Ricardo thinking where it's, it's not always the wisest thing to do, but sometimes <laughs> it comes out well. <laughs> no, so, there's, there's, one, there's one time I did a Lucy Ricardo thinking thing. Um, Dick Ebersol was like the hottest young executive at NBC at the time. And he's since gone on to really make his mark, not only just with Saturday night live, but with the Olympics for so many decades with NBC. And I was, trying to meet him because I figured once he met me, he'd realize how fabulous I was and he'd <laughs> hire me immediately. And we would uh, travel the world together and create marvelous television. And, and I would become, you know, famous and well-respected. And I couldn't get an appointment with the secretary. It was just impossible. And that was her job to be the gatekeeper. So right. um, I'm driving home late one night and I'm listening to talk radio and I, and our next guest is Dick Ebersol. And I'm like, ah, so I pulled off the freeway and I, I shoved a bunch of quarters into the payphone and waited. And, and the call screener says, what do you want to talk about? And I said, yeah, yeah I want to ask about Gilda Radner. He uh, <laughs> just so, pulled something out there. And so uh, they, they, they say, OK, caller, you're on with Dick Ebersol. And I went, hi, my name is Shelly Herman. I'm a page at NBC Burbank, and I've been trying to get an appointment with your secretary, but she <laughs> won't make an appointment for me to see you. So will you promise me on the air right here and now that you'll make time to see me next time you get to NBC Burbank? And he said, yes. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. That that takes some brass brass balls. You yeah. Know what I mean, or, or, or breast balls in the case of. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I was trying to find other verbiage, but nothing came to mind. But you covered I mean, they're it. They're pretty perky still, but bra but brass is pretty pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot wait uh, to read this book. Uh, one thing I forgot to look at: is there an uh, an audio book as well? I hope to do one after the first of the year. That's okay. That's the plan. According to whatever people who know things strategize about, uh, they wanted to put the hardbound, softbound, and Kindle out first. Right. And then wait a bit and then do an audio book. Will you be um, narrating I'll, I'll that? I'll come to your house and read it to you. I'm, I'm not doing anything now, so. <laughs> Only if you do it in the monster truck announcer voice. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Brett Brett Kepner was the one who was he was the brains of the operation. Fair. <laughs> I was mostly the one like, oh, and here comes Barefoot now. <laughs> <laughs> Bigfoot's his biggest rival. <laughs> you still do that very well too. I try, I try, and also it was really fun too because in the movie I Love You to Death, which is a movie with Kevin Klein and Tracy Ullman, 
they they use a little clip of one of our monster truck shows there. So I can I can honestly say I'm in a Kevin Klein movie because of my monster truck experience. That is hey, awesome. That better be on an IMDB page. Hell I yeah. hope to hell it is. It is. Oh, yes. <laughs> Made yeah, damn sure of it. If they do an AFI salute to Kevin Klein, I want to be one of his co-stars who lauds him. So yes, it's there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. A question that I like to ask uh, everyone we have on the show who's worked in the television business, uh, like yourself, especially in those in those uh, you know the golden days of television when it was amazing. What is your opinion of how television has evolved with the internet, with streaming services, with YouTube, with so many different outlets other than just that funnel view at network television? Do you uh, like the way television has has evolved? Do you think there's something lost uh, in the way television has evolved? I like the idea that there's more opportunities for creativity. With that said, I'd like to see creativity and not just um, something just filling the airwaves that's just junk. Sure. Um, uh, what I miss from those days is when you would do a talk show, um, you would see you would see Johnny Carson or or Mike Douglas or Merv Griffin or Dinah Shore, whoever it was, would genuinely have a conversation with the guest. And, and maybe towards the end of it, they would plug their movie or whatever it was. But now it seems like the segments are a lot shorter. Mm, and somewhere oh yeah. in there, they're plugging their new skincare line mm-hmm. or, you know, something that's not even showbiz related. You know, oh, I understand that you've, you've got a wine that you're doing. You know, it just, it it kind of takes the, like being a fly on the wall aspect of of watching those type of shows. Right. Um, I also notice a lot of what they call product integration in TV shows. When when I was working on a game show called Supermarket Sweep, I was one of the writers for that show. Oh wow! And we had to put thirty percent of our content had to be with. Um, it was a ConAgra owned a lot of these um, food companies. So we had to make sure 30% of our content featured their products because the production company was making money off of the fact that we were advertising within the show. And I, I thought it was incumbent upon me to make it seamless so it didn't look like we were just you know, plugging wishbone dressing all the time or sure, right. you know, certain things. Because it really does take you... I mean, product placement's good because it's better to see like a real can of Coca-Cola that somebody's drinking than, you know, Biffy Cola, you know, so (laughs) it's it's good from some respects that way. Um, What I, what I like is the fact that with the the streaming services, you can watch a show anytime you want. If you have insomnia and you want to catch up on only murders in the building, you can sit there and watch it whenever you want to. Um, It seems like the broadcast channels are becoming more like, AM radio and streaming is more like FM radio. Uh, yeah. yeah. It, it, it's that way. So, yes, I like anytime actors and writers and directors and crew people can work. Bring it on. You know, it's funny you say that because, you know, we all grew up with network television, but it was mm-hmm. about, what, uh, three, four years ago, we decided to finally pull the plug. We weren't watching it, we were watching streaming, you know? And uh, in that time, 
Whenever I do happen to, like, say, be at a friend's or family's house and network television is on, it's crazy to me how foreign it seems already. Yeah. I don't know if I'm alone in that. No, but... absolutely not. And I can take it a step for, f- further because my ki- I've got a six-year-old and a 12-year-old, and they've been – I mean, we've had cable stuff like that, but especially my six-year-old who hasn't really – because we cut cords about mm-hmm. the same time – and she'll go over to my parents or my grandparents, turn on TV and just, well, why can't I pause it? Why can't I do this? Why oh, can't? wow. It's just, there's not that, not that integration or that ability to kind of control the viewing experience that she's used Except to. Except the thing that, the only thing that's different is a live sporting event. Because yeah, that's true. We, we do want to watch that live. Yeah. And we, we, and, and that's why when. As, as much as there's way too many award shows on, I I, oh, yeah. <laughs> I will I will I will go there. But when you're watching an award show, most of them are live, and you're looking for that moment when an actress trips on her gown, or you know, Will Smith smacks the on. shit out of Chris Rock. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Those live moments. Yeah. That's something that the streaming services can't capture for us. That's right. true. So yeah. I would think that if I was programming network television now, I would take whatever their uh, their current epi- well, okay, American Gladiator. I know they had not Amer- um, American Ninja Warrior. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, my husband and I are addicted to that show <laughs> uh, because it is almost like a live show when you're yeah. watching these people with these skills. And I don't know if you guys were into it this year. Did you? Did you? Watch I haven't it seen it this year, but yeah. there was a couple years there. I was watching it when it first came out. Yeah, it was a lot of fun to watch. Okay, the guy who won this year, and I and I've been following it. And there's certain people who have tried it over and over again. Right. The guy who won this year was 17 years old, short, and had cerebral palsy. Holy Hello? cow! Could you get a better rooting interest story all year? Right. Right. Oh my wow. God. No, it was fat, and and even if you're watching, um, like America's Got Talent or something, you're lo- you're waiting for the person to hit a wrong note. You're waiting for the acrobat to fall on their ass. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where network television still does better than streaming, and the news. Okay. You know, yeah, talk, you know, the news too. Yeah. You know, it's it's going to sound silly to say. Uh, I, I love having so many choices. Sometimes it's overwhelming. There's too much to choose from at times. But, you know, there I do miss that time where everybody was watching uh, the same, you know, five channels because you could easily go either to work or school and be like, did you watch it? And everybody knew what you were talking about. You know, you could easily... Talk to everyone around you what was uh, big on the television, and now I just can't keep or up. Or even like with Complete Strangers, I vividly remember a Saturday Night Light live skit that I saw and then going to the store the next day hearing other people talking about that yeah. same skit. Like yeah. it's just – And not that that doesn't happen, but not like it used to. No. You know what no. I mean? No, and, maybe and, and also also because of the proliferation of all of, all of these streaming services, the the fact that now we've got TikTok on top of it. And all oh, of these, yeah. you know, we're you know, these do-it-your-own shows. Uh, again, it's it's fragmenting the audience even more. So yeah. I, you know, I challenge the creatives in town to come up with something that really is an event that makes you want to watch it live. So yeah, that right. you have that what, what we call the water cooler conversation at the office the next day, right? Because if if the networks 
would not be so tight-assed about their content. They could be uh, competing with these streaming services. And um, I, I think that's what's going to have to happen. So you think sure. they need to adapt, they just haven't yet? No, well, they, they tried to bring back Night Court. No. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, but here's, a, here's another example. It's a little off topic, but I happen to be a huge Howard Stern fan. Okay. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And if you remember just how ridiculous the FCC was with Howard doing mm-hmm. the most innocuous things, and it's it's stuff that we all see right now, all do right. I mean, it's like, and yeah. this, they, they drove this man crazy with yeah. with all their niggling with everything. And 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 who survived? Howard survived. Yeah, yeah. And you know, everything that they were getting on his ass about is now very, like you were saying, it's very very tame. Yes. You know, I like I remember when The Simpsons came out. Remember how like all oh, our troubled youth, Bart Simpson is going to ruin our youth. You they you weren't allowed to wear Bart Simpson stuff to school. What is it that? It was a problem. And all, now look at it. All the parent groups like mad and mom, mom yeah. yeah. Moms and the same thing happened when like and Beavis that. and Butthead came yeah, out. I remember yeah. that too, but just like everything else, like I'm sure there are still parents who are concerned about maybe their children watching Beavis and Butthead, but <laughs> I think you'd be even harder but, pressed but, but to all, but, but all of these knuckleheads are just raising money for their phony baloney self-righteous organizations. They're not doing anything. They're not changing no. policy. They're just lining their coffers. Yeah. And, no, How, Howard has always been one or two steps ahead of everybody else. And and whatever he's doing, people should figure. I mean, Howard now, like what you guys, you're doing conversational interviews. Mm-hmm. Howard does great interviews now. Yeah, he does. You know? He still he still does have his poo poo doo doo humor, but he he's now attracting a wider base of people, because yeah. those of us who were a bit younger who grew up with Howard appreciate what he's doing now. With uh, have you seen the Bruce Springsteen interview by the way? No. no. Oh my God! On HBO, they're running it. Try HBO Max. Okay. Okay. He, they and if he doesn't win an Emmy award for it, I mean, can you imagine Emmy winner Howard Stern? <laughs> <laughs> How cool that would be. Yeah. No, he's wow. he's he's grown up like unfortunately the rest of us have had to. I'm going to go watch that tonight. I you're I mean his interviews are priceless and I remember when we were starting this I was watching a lot of his interviews. I was watching there there was a show that Dan Rather had on Access TV where he was sitting down with the musicians. I can't remember what it was called, but damn it was good. Um but yeah. Getting just hammering to the point that Howard uh, does an amazing interview. He just did one with Paul Simon that was, and I I thought I knew everything about Paul Simon, and that was also an excellent interview. That one hasn't been released on video yet; it's just audio. But okay. the Springsteen one, I mean, you just get chills watching it. Yeah, mm. I will watch it. Before we go. I know that you have some signings coming up uh, for your book. Again, my peacock tale. Uh, I know one is October 21st. You have another November 27th. Did you want to uh, tell the listeners how they can come meet you? I'm going to tell you that I've changed one of those dates because I did some Lucy Ricardo thinking. All right. (laughs) Uh, I was originally offered to do a signing at the Barnes & Noble in Burbank. Okay. Okay. I kind of thought it was more important to do an event to celebrate the fact that NBC is in, is was in Burbank and that it should be something that is more than just me sitting around yakking about myself. So um, 
I have asked George Slaughter to join me. George created Laugh-In. Oh, wow. And Laugh-In, they created the phrase beautiful downtown Burbank. Right. So on November 4th at the Barnes & Noble in Burbank, George Slaughter and I are going to be tag teaming this event and talking about some of the marvelous history of media within the Burbank area. So I'm very excited about that one. Wow. So cool. And that and that's then, uh, which what date is that one again? I'm sorry. That's November the 4th at November the Barnes 4th. and Noble in Burbank, California. And then on November 27th, I'm very excited about this one too, because I will be live on the Sunset Strip. Hello. Oh, nice. Yeah. There's a fabulous independent bookstore named Book Soup. It's kind of like the jewel of the crown of bookstores here in town. Okay. And they were kind enough to ask me to come to a signing. And um, Jim Colucci is going to be the moderator. Jim has written uh, the Golden Girls Forever book, uh, a book all in the family about the history with Norman Lear that just came out. A very, very smart man. And uh, so we're going to do that signing at Book Soup. How Sweet. freaking cool. I yeah. wish we lived closer to the West Coast. <laughs> Road trip. <laughs> oh man, it would be so far. fun. It's it's the Monday after Thanksgiving, so I think you 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 need to come out here and work off some of the the turkey and gravy. Oh, I need to work off more than I, that. <laughs> I, I like that idea though. If you ever come out uh, close to Ohio, please let us yeah, know. Yeah, for sure. Please, oh, we can I get would together. Love to. And you know what? I'll give another plug because um, I think we talked about this off the air too. I'm involved with. Um, this the strong museum in uh rochester new york yes and, and they are putting together what will become the national game show archive and oh, wow. we have been collecting memorabilia from people that worked on game shows former contestants uh photographers anybody that might have something that they'd like to contribute to this museum and we've got set pieces from from family feud from jeopardy uh match game every just all the the wonderful shows we all grew up with and i was able to reach out to the betty white estate and ask i, I had said to them you know listen i know you're going to do an auction for betty's stuff but when you get to the game show crap and you think it's useless and nobody wants it we want it yeah. and they gave us boxes and boxes of, of memorabilia not only from betty but from her husband alan ludden who had oh. hosted the original password and then her assistant said, would you guys like one of Betty's Emmys? <laughs> yeah, sure. Why nah. not? <laughs> <laughs> Just throw it in done. there. <laughs> yeah. so Betty won a daytime Emmy for hosting a game show called Just Men. And right now, if you go to the Strong National Museum of Play, which is a fabulous place to go to with families, Every board game, every game you played as a child, every video game, every arcade game is all at this marvelous facility. And they have Betty's Emmy under glass with a little light on it saying, coming soon, the National Game Show Archive. So I'm like, yeah. How cool. Where where exactly is the uh, that museum, the Strong Museum? It's uh, it's in Rochester, New York. Okay. That sounds fun. I can't wait to see how Rochester's that comes Rochester's not. That's not far. Part, no. no. We could no, we could stop there on the way to see Josh. And I would suggest making it like a whole day or two days because oh for sure you're gonna just get totally lost in the place and it's gonna be like 
this is the stuff my mom threw away. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> how awesome! I cannot wait. But this is always this has been a pleasure. It's always a pleasure to speak with you, Shelley. I want to remind everyone: go to mypeacocktail.com. Again, that's T A L E, not T A I L. Uh, you can find uh, Shelley on social media at official Shelley Herman and uh, at mypeacocktail. Where else should we be directing people, Shelley? Well, I have Facebook, I have Instagram, I have Twitter or X or whatever they'll change the name to next week. <laughs> right. <laughs> But if people want to reach out to me, they could go to um, mypeacocktail at gmail.com. I actually had a fan letter from Japan that I just got. Did you That's really? Awesome. Yeah. Congrats. Really cool. That's awesome. Yeah, really cool. And he didn't like want to lock a hair or my fingernails or anything. So it was really nice. <laughs> I mean, that's always a plus, right? <laughs> There's pictures in the envelope of you shopping and stuff. Like, oh, God. <laughs> Well, Shelley, thank you so much again. The best of luck with your upcoming signings. Those sound so much fun as well. But thank you so much for taking time to be here. This has been a pleasure. Thank you. You guys are awesome. All right. And once again, ladies and gentlemen, that was our conversation with Shelley Herman. Damn, that was fun. I just love hearing those behind the scenes stories and just yeah. like interactions with celebrities. I mean, we, we get to interact with so many here on this show. But yeah. Just, yeah. It's just it's. And rarely are the. Um, uh, our guests that nice yeah you know what i mean here's here's an insight here's an easter egg ladies and gentlemen to how nice she is this is the second time we've recorded this episode with her we had technical difficulties the first time and after the conversation we had which was fantastic realized we didn't have a, any footage to show for it and i was devastated uh more than embarrassed to email her and tell her what had happened. But boy, she came back with, don't think a second thought about it. Let's do it again. Yeah. And <laughs> I you couldn't even tell. Yeah. Thank you for recording two episodes with us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She did not have to do that. And uh, the fact that she did, just such a sweet woman. Look very forward to uh, talking and working with her in the future. Got some things up our sleeves we didn't oh, talk about yeah. in this episode. So uh, that'll probably be coming around the turn of the new year, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be some pretty cool stuff. Absolutely. So once again, go to mypeacocktail.com to find out more about Shelly and the book. Uh, you can find her on social media at official Shelly Herman and at mypeacocktail. The, the book has its own uh, handle as well. And like she was saying on Facebook. But uh, huge thanks once again to Shelly. And with that, Randy, what do we have on the website, sir? Go to candairpodcast.com. Check out our Wall of Heroes, past episodes, all the links to all the things that you'd want to check out related to the show. Uh, and if you're interested in coming on the show and hanging out with us, send us a, a link on our contacts page. There you have it. And what else? The Tour Gaming Expo coming Tour up. Tour Gaming Expo. Our big Halloween episodes drop in here in a few episodes. And, a few uh, weeks from now. Weeks. Yeah, it's going to be up about a week before Halloween actually hits. That way you can enjoy it during the spooky season and not have to listen to it on Halloween right. or after, you know? Right. So. Yeah, when you're raiding all your kids' candy bins. I mean, yeah. um, taking your kids out trick-or-treating. <coughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, just uh, super excited for you guys to hear that. And, uh, again, if uh, you're listening to us, however you're listening to us, leaving a little like and review and rating was super, super, super helpful. <laughs> Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And uh, yeah, Tor uh, Gaming Expo is uh, November 11th and 12th at the Ohio State Fairgrounds. Come out and see us. Come out and see uh, all the amazing guests they have. The cast of Mario is going to be there again. The voice the voice is not from the movies, but from the video games, <laughs> which I'd rather see, to be honest. <laughs> um, and uh, a lot of other influencers are going to be there that you've probably heard of if you're in that genre. It's a family event. Bring the kids and just Absolutely. have a blast. So much to do, including... Stopping by your boys, Candare's table. Mm -hmm. Come say hi. Look at our wares. We we want to meet you guys. So uh, I think that's it for this week. So uh, until next time, I am Jeremy Colley, and I'm Randy Hardenbrook. Be excellent to each other, everyone. You should have been listening to Canned Air. Now we know. And knowing is half the battle. Snowjob, how'd you get your name? Um... G.I. Joe! Uh, one thing I meant to ask you on the show but forgot, you had mentioned just recently seeing Billy Joel. Was that with Stevie Nicks? Yes, it was. I was at that show, too. That was awesome. Oh, I was at the one at SoFi Stadium. Okay, we went to the uh, horseshoe here in Columbus. It was so good. And when we saw it at the, the the SoFi Stadium here, the geniuses who built the place, it's not an enclosed stadium. The sides are all open because that way the, the fresh air could flow through the stadium. So it was pouring rain. Oh, no. And, no. and, we, and we were getting it, but, like, I was dressed for it. Not everybody was, and, you know, so... Randy and I had, and and what was good too is I always plan for um, an after tailgate party because only amateurs go out into the crowd afterward. Yeah. So um, when we were done, I had soup and I had um, cookies and cocoa for us, and we just sat in the rain with the in the car. It was pouring, pouring, and we waited till everybody left, and we just drove home. How fun! So awesome. Yeah, I'm going to take wasn't you to she, concerts in the future. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> wasn't, wasn't she amazing? She was. I, mean, I expected him, but the fact that, um, and I don't know if she did it with you, but when she was when she sang "Landslide," how she started crying. Did she cry when she? She cried a few times. She cried yeah. a few times uh, when she was talking about. She sing, did a tribute to Tom Petty, which uh, that's my all time favorite. Is Tom Petty? Did Did and, Billy sing with her? 
Uh, yeah, stop yeah. dragging my heart around. But then around, she yeah. by herself did uh, free falling, and there was just like a slideshow of pictures yeah. of them together throughout the years. I got to see them play together uh, years ago. We oh. were at a Petty concert, and it wasn't even announced. He just said, uh, "I got a surprise for you all tonight," and he just welcomed her out. And they started wow. doing their anyway. I'm sorry. <laughs> they, they used to be sweethearts, and it ended badly. So it's nice that they had that yeah. moment on stage. That that was, and then Billy was just non-stop i mean he was like a guy yeah. who was like 30 the way he was i couldn't and then believe there was it the woman that um did the tina turner song yes in uh the woman Remember in Dave his Down band High? yes yeah she she was great she was did she like came out uh during uh river of dreams and did a whole thing is that what you're referring yeah. to or yeah that was so cool i've got that yeah, like, i had I, to I film like, that one i liked it because it was that with our concert. It was that woman, and then there was a guy that sang opera. Yes, yes, the guitar player. And it was good because instead of Billy Joel, like I'm just gonna go backstage for a while and and chill, it just kind of all just kept going and going and and building and building and building. I'm mm, no, it was that was one of my best concerts I've ever been to. I would agree. I would yeah. agree. That and, and Paul McCartney. I, I got to see Paul myself. That was fantastic. But I'm sorry. When I get going on music, <laughs> I can just sit here and talk your ear off until it hits the floor. But you know, what was funny with Paul is we saw him at Anaheim Stadium and we had like sixth row seats. It was fabulous. Damn. And my sister also came to the concert, but she was sitting in the cheap seats. And I said to her, <laughs> <Amateur>. like, <laughs> I said, after like, the third song or whatever I you know meet me at the so-and-so and we'll switch ticket stubs and you can go sit down oh that's closer. sweet yeah so uh my husband who um served in korea for a year and a day on the dmz tends to get startled by loud noises mm. so we were at the overhang at the stadium and i was whispering in his ear like during live and let die there's gonna be a big noise and just as i said noise is live and let die Boom. Boom! And then <laughs> had to scrape him off the wall. <laughs> this has been a Canned Air production. What was it like to be there for historical sports moments and unforgettable performances? To be behind the scenes? On PressBox Access, you'll hear from me, Todd Jones, and other sports writers about their experiences with the greatest athletes, coaches, and sports events of the past half century. We'll share some stories behind the stories, some big, some small, and some we've only told each other. Let us buy you around on PressBox Access.